we're here to mediate differences. We're here to weave diversity together. We're here to grow relationships that make the we more important and effective than the me. From Nat's Numbers, I'm Nat, and this is the Numerology Chick Podcast. Let's decode the superpowers in your chart and in the people around you to create magic, synchronicity, and empowerment in your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are at episode five. Today, I am lucky enough to be interviewing Will Wilkinson. In numerology, Will is a two life path and a two name number. And I first met this awesome guy and his beautiful wife, I think they've been married for 23 years, at a dinner party in Ashland, Oregon. We all immediately hit it off. They are profound, deep, fun souls. And we ended up talking about coaching, mentoring, what pisses us off about the new age movement, spirituality. And I believe, if I'm recalling correctly, I crushed both of them at a game of cards. (laughs) Will has been writing, teaching, presenting, and mentoring for decades now. This guy is a professional relator. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it. (laughs) He has made it a career out of using the natural innate divine design that he was born with, the two life path, two name number, the superpower of connecting, peacemaking, being the diplomat and the moderator. If you have a two in your core numerology chart, like your life path number, your name number, maybe your personality or heart's desire number, or someone that you work with or love does, this podcast can be an absolute game changer. Will and I talk about what it is like to have this superpower of the number two of sensitivity to others in your chart. The instinct to conform with the number two, how we can lose ourselves as we're trying to be what other people are and how this superpower, although incredibly luminous and beautiful and bonding can actually make you blind to the real big blaring pieces of information that are coming to you in your life. Will gives us a great takeaway of how to remedy this, a tool of how to fix this sensitivity overload that every single two experiences. And he even shares how to be bulletproof from temptation in intimate relationship. That is just skimming the surface, you guys. So have a pen and paper handy because... This is some juicy workshop for free kind of stuff. And if you want to know what your superpowers are and how to use them to feel empowered and confident in your everyday life, schedule a session with me at natsnumbers.com. That's N-A-T-S numbers.com. The link will be in the show notes. As always, enjoy. So you are a double two in numerology. I hope that's a good thing. It's such a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I have a... What is it like? We like to know our category, right? We do. Well, we really like to know who we are. I think, I think that it's because we want to know what makes us special. Yeah. And it's really easy to not know that. Right. It's really easy to just try to be like everyone else. Well, that's how we're educated. Yeah. Sit in your desk, behave... And then grow up and join the assembly line. Meanwhile, we know we're unique. 
but we don't really have a lot of guidance to bring out our genius. Oh, it's so important. And this is just, just going right into it. I think that one of the things I'm most passionate about with twos, who are the peacemakers, you guys are designed for union and relationship, is that twos somewhere along the way began to get the idea that they're too sensitive, mm-hmm. that they're too codependent, too mm-hmm. clingy. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart because... You guys are needed in the world now more than ever. The hunger that you have for connection, for harmony, is is the lifeblood of what brings us together. Well, I think you're you're totally right. It's very much needed what sensitive people can bring. But just the nature of being sensitive, whether you're a two or some other number, dooms you to feeling like you're always going to live on the outskirts of town, that you somehow are fraudulent relative to the system. You know, you're not mm-hmm. in the mainstream. And I, I have a lot of friends who, regardless of the success they achieve, the adoration that may come their way, in their private moments, they still think, one, they're weird, and two, there's something wrong with that. And you know what? I need to say that there are certain people who aren't that way. Mm. Do you, can you think of people that are in your life who are not sensitive like that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's important to understand. So for those people out there that are listening who have a two in their chart, who are sensitive, it's important to understand that there are people, like I'm thinking of uh, like fours, who are just solid. They say it like it is. They seem to have this really thick armor. And for twos, it is difficult to mm-hmm. initially be out in the world. Well, it's as if we imagine everyone else is like us, even though we know they're not. <laughs> so when we witness someone who's totally unlike us, behaving in a way we would never behave, we freak out. Because if we did that, we'd die or <laughs> you know, violate our basic code. <laughs> and I have a friend, I'm thinking of him right now, and I have no idea what number he is, but he's a bull. Yes. He's a Taurus, and he just powers through things. And I look at him, I go, oh, my God, is this yes. guy ever rude and How crude? How do you do this? And I follow right behind him, and I'm really glad he's done the bushwhacking. <laughs> he's not particularly sensitive, but here's the thing. He's sensitive in a different way. Yes, exactly. And that's what we learn. I think as twos, part of our sensitivity can be to learn how everybody is sensitive in their own way. Oh, that's so profound. That's so profound. Can I ask you a quick question? So your beautiful wife Mm -hmm. is a number one. Mm -hmm. So ones are, instead of being sensitive to others as much as a two, ones have an incredible sensitivity to being self-conscious about themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like it's an incredible Mm self-awareness. Do you find that that's true for her? I find it's absolutely true, and I, I often celebrate my wife um, as being like an early warning system, kind of like the canary in the coal mine, Mm -hmm. where her sensitivity, which is tailored more to herself, can pick up threats to our experience together that I wouldn't necessarily see. I'm sensitive to what's going on out here. You guys are a superpower couple. That's incredible. You it's can a good go balance. to so many different territories in life when you've got both of those superpowers. Well, and not to gild the lily here. It's a challenge. Yeah. Because, you know, we both of us can be stubborn and we see it our way and why is the other not seeing it the same way? But over 23 years now, 
we've learned to step back and, and appreciate that perspective. It's really a shared perspective that comes together because we each contribute to it. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's, that is what makes me so passionate is for people to understand that when you know what your design is, and you know what your partner's design is, you can come together as a team. And instead of seeing that your partner is a, um, an adversary, as oftentimes we, over time, we can feel that our partner is an enemy. Yeah. We start to see them as a partner, somebody who's uniquely loving us in their own way. Well, and it gets very specific. Mm -hmm. I mean, when my wife and I first met, we wisely had an astrological reading about our two signs and how we would mm -hmm. relate together. And the astrologist couldn't stop laughing. He, <laughs> he just thought it was hilarious because we were so compatible in so many ways. Mm -hmm. However, when he spoke about me, he accurately reported that I had a very fertile heart, deep emotional realm. But at the moment, back then, my heart was encased in ice. That's a powerful image. Ooh, that is. And he was right. I was heavily armored because I was coming out of a 21-year stint in a spiritual organization where I'd done a lot of posturing and I'd had to be perfect and I really had to sit on my sensitivity. I had to really deny most of it. And so my heart had gotten very encased, as he said, in ice. So I remember him saying, so, Will, the only real question for you is, what is it going to take to melt the ice? That is so good. Well, as it turned out, what it took was Tashina, my wife. Yeah. And I used to call her Miss Blowtorch. <laughs> because in our early relationship, she would bring fire that would be so painful mm -hmm. as the ice melted. It needed to happen. But she brought something that for a sensitive two like me seemed almost like an attack at times. And yet, am I grateful for that? one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. So you're bringing something up that is a experience for every two. And it, and for partners of two, people who are in the workplace with twos, they, they don't understand this at first. It's that you're, you are incredibly sensitive to other people. You're tuned in, you're perceptive, you're the intuitives, right? And you're designed for connection. But if that sensitivity to others is not utilized in a constructive way, if you're not trained in how to interact with people without losing yourself, it can become ice. Mm -hmm. the, I call it the numbing phase or the detaching yeah. phase. Yeah. So people will say, twos can be the most loving and warm, kind-hearted, considerate people. Mm -hmm. And then they can segue yeah. into the other extreme. Well, it was so painful for me when I had explained to me that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. I'll tell you, Natalie, when I heard that and realized that I had, for most of my life, withdrawn my love when I got triggered, when I was moody, oh my gosh, and my you're sensitivity, my language. Yes, you know, yes. and I, would, I wouldn't think it was that bad a deal, mm. but indifference is the opposite of love. That just chilled me, and I learned so much from that. Oh. So could you tell me, what, what is your earliest memory of having this sensitivity to others? Well, I remember as a young child feeling like an oddball and asking my mother where I came from. 
And she said, well, you know, the general hospital here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I said, no, 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 where did I really come from? Because <laughs> I knew. The was... question every parent just hates to answer. I remember that with my daughter. And she didn't really have any way to illuminate one. me, of course. But I was asking because I felt so much like a misfit. I remember going to school and I was fairly bright. So I got in an advanced group and we raced through school in record time, always the youngest in my class. And I had a lot of trouble relating to people because in those early years, I didn't have the ego development to be able to handle diversity and to understand. So I would shrink. I would be afraid. I can remember, you know, in elementary school when you were tasked to stand up and read a paragraph. I would not sleep all night before that. And I would be sweating and I would almost pass out just to stand up and read a paragraph because I was so open to the impressions from other people. And it wasn't a performance thing. It was a survival thing. Yeah. My sensitivity yeah. was so intense that I felt bombarded by energy that I couldn't understand. And I'm telling you, if it took me 38 seconds to read my paragraph, I was counting every second. People think that that desire to people please isn't necessarily healthy. And there's a component of that. But twos are born with, without boundaries. And when you said that you hadn't had the ego development yet, it was just this big, you know, light bulb moment because the one comes before the two. Mm. And there's an incredible mm. wisdom in the sequence mm. in numerology. Mm. The one is the individual, right? Mm -hmm. The sense of self. Yeah. And being able to develop that first. Mm -hmm. Twos, when they come in, they typically aren't able to distinguish between who they are and who others are. I know that one, I'll tell you. Uh, I mean, I've learned I'm somewhat of an empath, mm. so I have some intuitive, almost psychic uh, abilities, which is useful working with people. But you can lose yourself in others. And there's a classic scene in The Martian Chronicles, Ray Bradbury's incredible story made into a TV movie with Rock Hudson, as I remember, where the Martian shows up. He looks just like an ordinary person. He shows up at the door, this elderly couple in a storm, open the door, and they almost faint because this is their son who's returned home, except their son died a few years ago. And this being was able to take on the character that those he was close to wanted him to be. This is extreme sensitivity. So he became their son. And they knew their son was dead, and this was someone else, but they didn't care. They just wanted their boy back. He said, I will be with you. I will be your son with one condition, you can never take me to town. And they agreed. And then, of course, they reneged and took him to town to show him off. And I remember the scene where he's standing there and they're introducing to people. And they say, here is our son. And as he turns to face this woman, he physically morphs and changes into her sister and becomes this woman's sister who's also dead. And then he meets someone else and he turns into an uncle or a friend, and eventually he dies because the sensitivity causes him to keep changing for other people and he completely loses himself. Mm. 
that is that is so incredibly powerful and that shows the the beauty and the luminosity of being a two it also shows how it can become this curse it's a blessing and a curse like yeah. most things a double-edged sword and you know we live with this as a gift and a burden and you know all the other twos are just sensitive people regardless of their number understand what we're yeah. talking about yeah. and there's times we wish it would go away there's other times when we you know revel in it it's the greatest gift of our lives if you guys can realize that it's a gift and there are some elements of training that are required to not prostitute yourself to not lose yourself to develop sustainable bond and relationship. Well, absolutely. And the great failing is the distinction between who we are and what we do. Mm. So most of our education is around what we do, how to make a living in the world, the career, family, all that, which is vitally important. But we receive mm. almost no training relative to who we are. And because of that, then the twos, the sensitive ones, can try to do things instead of rely on who they are. And I'm fortunate to have had some really great mentorship, so I have a strength in knowing who I am, which means I don't necessarily need to do a lot. I'll do what I do, but my value is in who I am. That, that saves me from letting my sensitivity lead me to doing all kinds of things that would really be enabling or inappropriate, exhausting, etc., uh, etc., one of the things that partners of twos will tell me is twos are the most considerate, kind, and loving people that they've ever met. They feel held and they feel loved. Mm. They've also reported that sometimes they need to have space to not be okay. And when a two is still in that initial training phase of doing for others, of meshing with others, of people pleasing, it actually feels to other people like they're not being loved or accepted mm -hmm. because the, the two's neediness mm. is masked as kindness. Mm -hmm what they're actually needing from their partner or from that other person is they're needing what you said before. They're needing the ego development. Mm -hmm. right. They're needing to say, who am I? Right. What do I need? Right. And how can I be, be in that state? Yeah, well, I mean, it's as I was saying, the blessing and the curse. I mean, we're great partnership people. Okay, well, there's also times we need to be alone, you know. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know? So it's like that joke, and I might have mentioned this to you before because it's one of my favorites. The Boy Scout who comes back to headquarters and he's all beaten up, his clothes are ragged, and he's cut and bleeding. And Scoutmaster says, Well, what happened? He said, Well, I, I helped this old lady across the street. And he says, Well, yeah, but how did you get beat up? He said, Well, she didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> So therein lies the problem. You know, my sensitivity tells me that you need something and I'm going to help you whether you want it or not. Oh my gosh, I was joking with another two about that same thing. That's the key, is that twos sense the thoughts and feelings of others and they misinterpret it as a request. Well, exactly right. And something my wife said to me uh, years ago 
not sure where she heard it, but it's really been a guidance for me. She said, there's my business, there's your business, and there's God's business. And we need to know the difference. And all the time, I catch myself meddling in other people's business yes. with the best of intentions. Because it's like you're in a supernatural movie. This is what people I want people to understand about twos. Mm. When a two walks into a room, you are literally sensing what it's like to be other people. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that for everybody. Yeah. I see. And it's hard for us to uh, understand that. Yes. Because it's so powerful. Like, for instance, I do a lot of presentations. It would be unthinkable for me to stand up and begin presenting. And yet everybody does that. What do you mean? Well, I stand up and I feel out the room. I look around. I see who's there. I make some completely off-the-cuff comments to buy time to normalize myself in that space and get set. And I'm just astounded by people who can stand up and go, good evening, we're here today to such and such. And I'm, I'm like gagging because <laughs> it would be inconceivable to me. I need that time to acclimatize energetically so that I feel a oneness, a connection with yeah. people. I can't just be separate. You I have sense, to forge that connection. Right. And you sense and respond to your environment. Absolutely. You know what? So when I went to your recent book signing ah, right. and radio broadcast, yeah. right? And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this awesome book that you and Chris wrote, Thriving in Business and Life. I Available know, on Amazon. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, it's it's packed full of brilliant, brilliant stuff, <laughs> right? Um, awesome tools of how to thrive in life and business. And you guys were standing there and I noticed something to me that was supernatural, you are so in tune with your co-author, Chris, that if his body moved just slightly, you would respond to it. I'll give you an example. You were sharing a story to the audience. And I could just, and I have a two in my, a two in my chart. I have a two hearts desire. So I saw it. Chris did a slight movement, like a, a half an inch to the left like he was ready to share something. And you finished your story mm. and you said, Chris, you have something to share on that. Mm -hmm. That's a two. Yeah. And you guys are in yourselves all the time and you think that that, well, doesn't, isn't everybody kind and considerate like that? Mm. No, mm. no. It's not that other people are unkind. Mm -hmm. It's that other people aren't in tune like well, that. and it's a, it's a difference, just to put it in a, a simplistic term, it's a difference between what we are doing versus what I am doing. I mean, right now it's very clear you and I are doing this show. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, and you've interviewed a lot of people, it's likely you've encountered some people who the show was about them. Yes, right? yes. Not for me or other twos. Clearly, this show is about you and me. It's about we, just like the presentation was about Chris and me together, not mm. Chris for a while, then Will for a while, then Chris for a while, then Will for a while. It was always Will and Chris with one of us speaking. <laughs> it's amazing because when I came in to do this interview, the first question that you asked was, how can we make this a good podcast? Right. Right? Which is a natural question for me. It's to... a natural one for you. And this is... What I love about numerology and about this work, one of the many things I love about it, is it helps us understand 
the absolute magnificence of what we might deem as ordinary traits or aspects of ourselves. That to me mm-hmm. is like million dollar valuable. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I know one of your, your questions you, you sent me was what is hard about being a two yeah. in the world. And yeah. I think we're starting to get into it here. Um, because as sensitive as we are, we can also be blind to the obvious. And I mean, I have my hand up right now. Uh, there's a great cartoon I saw once with this guy standing in front of the fridge. He's looking in it, and the only thing in the fridge is butter. Like there's about 20 bricks of butter. And he calls out to his wife, Honey, where's the butter? <laughs> so, and I do this. I mean, I will be so sensitive to some minute little yes. intuitive thing that no one else sees. But then the most obvious thing sitting right there in front of me, I'm completely blind to it. So that makes it difficult to be in the world when you do need to be aware of obvious things. You absolutely do. I, I can completely <laughs> relate to that. I have a tip for listeners. It's something I've learned that is essential for me to do. Yeah which is to reboot regularly. What does that mean, reboot? Well, if we think of computers, uh, and by the way, all technology comes out of biology. We don't make anything in the world that didn't originate inside our own bodies. Levers, pulleys, wheels, it all started here. So computers are an extrapolation of internal biological technology. And with computers, anyone who uses them robustly at all understands you have to shut them down, you have to restart them, you have to defrag them, there's different terms for that, where you fix the little glitches that have developed over a period of use. Now, if we just left our computer on all the time and never did those little technological rituals, it gets slower, it doesn't function as well. So similarly with ourselves, Sleep is supposed to be our time to reboot. Unfortunately, we're so busy and we've never learned how to sanctify the day. That's the term I've learned where you take a moment as the day ends to think back on what happened, to come to terms with it and kind of put everything to bed before you go to bed. And then you can sleep and have good dreams and you can start a new day in the morning. If we don't do that, or in my case, when I'm working with clients, I'll go for a walk around the block in between clients. I'll wash my hands in cold water. Sometimes I'll have a shower if I've been part of something intense. In other words, rebooting the system. If we don't do that, our sensitivity gets overridden. We start really missing things. Mm. And uh, I I just think that's the, the single most important thing for sensitive people to do is to regularly reboot. To unplug. Unplug and reboot, yeah. You know, another thing that comes to mind is what I call a common sense moment which is really important for twos. Mm. So in a coaching relationship with the two, I know that there could be something huge going on in their lives. Mm. Like they're in the middle of a separation or their child just moved out of the house to college Mm. and they won't tell me. (sighs) And so the common sense moment is, you know, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling frenetic, and chaotic as a two or anybody that's feeling like the whole, they're sensing all the details and subtleties of life Mm. to just sit down and say, okay, 
what are the, the super obvious things going on hmm. that I might not be taking into account here? <laughs> what am I missing? What am I missing? <laughs> oh, I'm, I just got separated from yeah. my spouse. Yeah. Oh, my child moved out. Yeah. Oh, I, I gained 30 pounds after yeah. surgery. Yeah. Right. It's so I, I really appreciate that sense of unplugging. Well, you're nailing it. I mean, we and I speak from experience, we can hide in minutiae. You know, they say the devil is in the details. Well, there's a number of ways to interpret that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I can disappear into the details of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good example, I'm a writer, so I get mm-hmm. hired to edit work and I can sit down and start editing away and perfecting sentences and, you know, punctuation and grammar for like 15, 20 minutes before I realize, wait, I should take a look at the whole document first. You know, it's the tendency is to jump into the details with my great sensitivity instead of saying, wait, let me get a perspective view first. And when I do that, I go back and I look and I go, well, you know, this thing isn't ready to edit. It needs structural change. This could move there. And then there's a larger shift that can occur rather than this detailed granular kind of attention. Oh, that's so good. And I think that that's why that healthy detachment is so important mm-hmm. for the sensitives. Mm-hmm. If you try to be plugged in and hooked in all the time, guess what happens, yeah. right? You, you get overwhelmed with all the detail, but I think what happens is a numbing happens. Well, it's exactly right. And, and Natalie, the, the wonderful thing about all this is that when we learn something for ourselves, we can then help other people. Mm. It's like that joke about the woman who brings her son to the guru in India and says, my son is eating candy all the time. Tell him to stop eating candy. And he says, come back next week. She comes back next week and she says, my son's eating candy all the time. And the guru says, quit eating candy. And the mother says, well, thank you. But why didn't you just tell him that last week? And he said, well, last week I was eating candy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> now, that's humility. We, we, we need to walk our talk. So, yeah. for instance, uh, I was helping my wife uh, yesterday. She was coaching someone. And a particular challenge she was dealing with, very detailed, and this was in a relationship uh, situation. And she told me, and I said, well, this woman needs to give her husband one month to do these three things or else uh, she might want to ask for a divorce. And that's extreme. But the point was that there was some behavior going on that was unacceptable. And this person had been in it so long They were working with all the details and they weren't able to see the big picture, which was just dysfunctional as hell. It's, uh, I mean, our gift is in handling details and our curse is getting lost in details. mm. You know, our gifts are always potentially our, our liabilities and it's good to know that. It is. So could you tell me a story, like a supernatural or magical story of how this two superpower of sensitivity to others has shown up in your life. And there's so many of them, but one I'd like to, and I'm going to ask permission because this is a very sensitive story and uh, it may impact listeners in a particular way, particularly women. And so I'd just like to give that little uh, preparation. But I think it's a good story. My curiosity has peaked. It's it's an important story, I think. I had a, a healing center up in Victoria, Canada for six years, I founded it, and I spent almost six years pretty much in silence, just doing energy work with clients. And uh, 
that's where I was really using my sensitivity. No touch, no talking, just feeling energy, right? So I was in my two glory, right? <laughs> so this woman was in for the third time, and there were two things that were unique about her. She was very beautiful physically, and she never said a word. I mean, usually people told me what their issue was, and then we do our work. So on this occasion, she's lying on the special table that I used, and I'm, you know, doing my thing, and she starts to cry. And that wasn't unusual. Often emotion would stir, and so I, I could handle that. Now remember, I'm 30-something, okay? Very young, very naive. And uh, she's crying, and I'm, you know, holding her in loving, you know, care. Well, she starts to wail, mm. and then her body starts to convulse. And I start to freak out about it, and then I'm hit with a barrage of pornographic images. And I'm talking disgusting mm. images, and it's going through my head, and I'm like, oh my God. And I mean, I'm not puritanical, but I have a high degree of respect for uh, sexuality, for women, all of that. So this was more than offensive. This was traumatic. So I'm dealing with all this wondering what the hell's going on. She's on the table going crazy. Gradually, she calms down. These images flee. It was like going to the twilight zone. And she sits up. We're finished. She sits up and she looks at me. And she says, that was incredible. She said, I just relived the experience of being raped violently when I was 13. And she said, I've never been able to access that. She said, I feel like I've just healed it. And I sat there and fighting tears back, you know. And then she stood up and she moved towards the door. And I never saw her again after that. I guess we did the work we needed to. But she stood at the door and she started to go through. And then she stopped. She looked back at me with a really funny look on her face. And she said, this is so weird. I just realized today is my daughter's 13th birthday. I have goosebumps. Yeah. So she walked out and I just sat in my office and I wept. I mean, partly as a man, just for the cruelty that we men inflict on women, our uh, crucifixion of the innocents, but also just being grateful for my sensitivity, but also kind of feeling worn out from it. I mean... That was quite a journey. So I don't know if that example applies, but there's there's that a story. absolutely applies. So I have a question. Yeah. I, th I have two questions. Um, what did you do after? How do you recover from that? Because that's a great extreme example of mm -hmm. being so psychically, intuitively tuned mm -hmm. in that you almost... You were there with her. I was melting down. Yeah. I, To be honest, I think it took me years to really integrate that. Uh, I don't want to sugarcoat this. It was deeply traumatic for me in many ways. Uh, on the one hand, I felt I'd been of service, and we love to feel that. If yeah. you, you know, you're, you're a person who helps people. We love the feeling that, oh, I really helped someone. Clearly, I helped her. On the other hand, it gave me a visceral experience, basically, of a violent rape, something that I had had no, I mean, how would I have any experience of that? And it sickened me, and it, it took me so long to integrate it because unavoidably I had to face predatory elements in myself as a man 
towards women. That's, that's very profound, though, because you just answered the question. When we face those incredible acute moments of sensitivity, one of the ways to work with it, to process it out, is to face some aspect of that within ourselves. So if as a two or somebody who's sensitive, you come across an experience with somebody that made you feel drained, depleted, it was confronting, that perhaps we have to face that same thing that we're judging or that we're scared of in ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, I learned a lot from that and it was hard and I'm still learning from that. I think anyone who's sensitive and dares to look in the jade stone and face things personally is always in school. Mm. And if you're a teacher, that makes it doubly challenging because there's this concept you should be there, you know. If I have anything to teach, it's because I've mastered something. I don't agree. I think true teaching comes from humility. And I'm, I wouldn't say delighted, but I'm... (laughs) Uh, always open to share my failings, <laughs> and I wish they weren't there. <laughs> but, you know, we we teach not what we've learned so much as what we're learning. And we're it not never done. ends. It never ends. Yeah, God's not I, done with me. I yeah. had a humbling moment. I love interviewing people on love and partnership, and I, I was interviewing a, a, a couple of friends of mine who've been married for like 35 years, and I said, okay, well, when, when, does the work stop and you guys are just blissed out in love and they start hysterically laughing and they said it never ends never ends it's it's i she um the woman she was saying i still sometimes feel like that little 20 something girl who's trying to get my husband's attention we we remain dysfunctional but on higher levels I mean, I have this vivid memory of my wife and I in Maui. We used to, that's where we met, and we used to live there for seven years. And there was always a magic between us, and people recognized it right away. And oh, so I we, see would, it too. you know, we do couples coaching, and we got hired to go to Japan, where we did a bunch of disastrous couples seminars because we had no idea, <laughs> no idea how to relate in Japan. We had them eye gazing, which is culturally taboo, right? Oh <laughs> anyway, the memory is of us. Coming back from the beach. So, like, we're in paradise. Mm -hmm. If anyone who's been to Maui knows, it's incredible. Coming back from the beach, we're fairly young, we're healthy, we're in love, got enough money, got a beautiful home, great friends. In other words, it's perfect, but we're having an argument. And we get to the corner (laughs) of our road, and both of us get out of the car and walk away. The car is left sitting there (laughs) with two doors open in the middle of the road. (laughs) Because each one of us was walking out on the other. (laughs) And as I recall, we stopped, acknowledged the absurdity of the situation, got back in and went home. (laughs) So no, it's never over. It never ends. And I don't think that we would want it to. Well, no. I mean, can you imagine anything worse than the sameness of being perfect and every day? I mean, it's Groundhog Day, like that movie, you know? And one of the things you've been teaching me, which I think is such a huge wonderful gift that you can give yourself and other twos is don't be afraid of the darkness Mm -hmm. as a sensitive being with the superpower of perception and connecting to others if you can only connect to the good Mm -hmm. and the light Mm -hmm. it it really isolates you well it does and it's like that joke about the six guys looking at the elephant as he walked by and one of them sees the trunk and says oh it's a snake (laughs) 
Another one sees a head and says, oh, it's a giant head. Another one sees the ear and says, oh, it's an ear. None of them are seeing the whole picture, right? So we need to be careful with our sensitivity not to jump to concussions. <laughs> jump to concussions. Right. That's good. <laughs> yeah, because we can assume what we're perceiving is the whole picture. It, it almost never is. You know, so patience is a good idea. Okay, I'm perceiving something. It suggests this to me. You know, there's a story. We put this in our, our thriving book of three men who are going to work very early in the morning. They're driving along, and they see this woman walking across the street, basically naked. And the one guy is just offended. He thinks this is terrible. What What's next? You know. And another guy is pretty excited. And he's scanning <laughs> her. He's the pervert. <laughs> the other guy notices her eyes are closed. He realizes she's sleepwalking. And he manages to help her get back to her home safely. So there's, you know, three people seeing the same thing, using their perception through their own filters, which we need to be aware of. We're not ever seeing things the way they are. They're see we're seeing things the way we see them. So you're saying that sensitivity can also be directed. Because if yeah. you're seeing it through a particular lens... Yeah, the sensitivity needs to be moderated, is how I would put it. You can't just take it at face value because there are overlays, there are filters, we're seeing through our bias. So I think any of us who are particularly sensitive need to be especially careful of that. Uh, my mother had this expression she used all her life, which us kids just couldn't couldn't get enough of this. She would say something. She was a very definite kind of person. She would say something, this is the way it is. And then she'd add, but I could be wrong. <laughs> and, and of course she didn't mean it. And, and it late in life... was the insurance policy at the end. Yeah, late in life she talked about something and said, you know, I was, I was wrong about that. And we all just couldn't believe it. We celebrated it. And then a month later she said... You know, when I said that thing about being wrong, no, I was right, actually. And as we pointed out, she'd been wrong. <laughs> but some of us are cavalier about that. But the fact is that we are often, I wouldn't say wrong, but we're perceiving incompletely. There's more to the story. And if we can live in the question, what else? I often suggest to people, especially my clients, that they adopt the persona of a detective. If we become a detective in our lives, we're eager for clues, and we won't discount anything. I mean, we probably all enjoy a good detective story. What makes a good detective story? It's unusual clues that lead to an unlikely conclusion. Now, if we're eliminating things just because we, we discount them, we're not going to access those unusual clues. So what gifts do you share with others in relationship as a two? I think the first one is to celebrate all relationships. We can get fixated on the big one, you know, our beloved, our wife, husband, lover, or our children. Those are so important. However, those are pinnacle relationships. I, I have the image of a relationship pyramid, and everyone I relate to is in that pyramid, Yes. The qualities that I share with everyone in every relationship end up residing in my pinnacle relationship. This is, this is such a brilliant point. Well, it means that I treat waitresses really well. And the guy giving me some gas when I pull up to the pump, he matters to me. He's not less to me than my beloved. He's a human being that I am in the moment in relationship with. So, you know, your question, what gifts does it to or do I share in relationship? I think it's respect for the value of every relationship 
and helping people feel in the moments that, you know, we're together, that they matter. They're not in the second position. They're in the first position. In our day and age, eye-to-eye connection and really seeing somebody else is a rare commodity. It's like a precious metal. Well, it is. People look at their phones in the grocery store line. We're not connecting. Well, I have to tell you, when I met my wife in Maui on a blind date at the Crossroads Cafe, she told me later that she was going along to have a cup of tea with this Canadian guy who was visiting the island, set up by our mutual friend. And she told me that as she was walking over, she said to herself, okay, if this guy looks at me, I'm going to hang around. But if he won't look me in the eye, I'm out of here. Oh, that's the two. That's the two. That's how important that was to her. And we have done a lot of eye gazing, a lot of connecting that way. And Mm. there's something naked about that. Yeah. You know, and you're right. People who are looking all over, I always want to sort of say, excuse me, what are you looking at? (laughs) It must be fascinating. Come back. back. (laughs) Yes. Now, on the other hand, and this is, again, part of the sensitivity, there are times when I'm with someone and we're conversing and it's delicate and it's deep, where I will deliberately avert my gaze for a moment, just out of respect, and it's almost like it allows the energy to calm down a little bit because it can get kind of intense if you're just glued to each other. Yes. So there's a sensitivity to that dance. It's a kind of energetic intimacy, mm-hmm. and so I'm very respectful of that. It is a dance. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, by the way, twos can be incredible in music and in, in dance because of the rhythm, because of responsiveness. Mm-hmm. You're responsive. Mm-hmm. That's why twos can be great lovers, mm-hmm. right? Is because you're sensing and then responding. Mm-hmm. You're, you, there's an adaptability mm-hmm. to you. Well, that's the, the good side of it, yeah. and thank you. Um, the other side of that is not being vigilant about what role to play in a particular instance because the sensitivity overwhelms a more linear understanding of what's needed. Here's an example. I'm in a men's group. I've done a lot of work with men, and I was staffing a weekend training uh, for men. And during this training, it's customary for each man to have a chance to, as we say, get on the carpet. So he stands in the center of a small circle, and he does his deep work, which is usually dealing with the mother-father wound. So this was my first time staffing this event. This guy gets out in the middle, and this man had been beaten by his father with a golf club. Okay? So the minute he started to share this, and he's racked with sobs as he tells this story, which he's almost never told, I feel myself just going into overwhelm, and the tears are coming and everything. And a voice almost literally sounded in my head saying, cut it out. This is not your role. You're here as a warrior to protect this man. It's not your time to be emotional. You're here to hold the circle, hold the space, and let this man get into his heart. You need to be a warrior standing strong. And I just got it together, buried my tears, and I stood there strong so he could get into his tears. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because the sensitivity can pull you down into an experience that doesn't serve that other That's person. That's what was happening. Mm. And I was being self-indulgent. Now, later, 
it was appropriate for me to share some tears and be in my heart. There's, there's nothing wrong with that, but it was not the right time. Yes. This, I think, is a tremendous challenge for twos. Yes. I'm glad we're talking about it because personally, it's something I deal with every day. I want to tell you a personal story with this. Um, so when I get home from work, my first inclination is to to basically like send out like sonar to see if everybody's okay. Yeah. Right? Right. And what this means is if my boyfriend has a bad day, I immediately like hook in and try to fix it, try to feel it. I dive into it. I want to know what happened. I want to know why it happened. I want to know how he feels about it. And that's where the the companionship that's so beautiful about being with the two comes into play, but it can actually be detrimental to that person because you're basically joining the party and you're joining a party that you haven't been really invited to. (laughs) (laughs) Crashing the party. Yeah. And they don't really, that's not the role that they want you to play. You're helping them across the street and they don't want to go. Exactly. You don't (laughs) want to be the amplifier of their bad day. So I remember um, getting advice from a 22 so somebody who has a double dose of the two, who said, repeat the mantra in your head, not my stuff, not yeah. my shit. Yeah. Okay? Right. So I then had this one evening that was miraculous. I, I go home and normally I feel myself being pulled to, to do this, to sense and feel what somebody else is experiencing in my family. But instead, I just gave hugs I welcomed them home when they got home and then I released. Yeah. That's, that's the unplugging you were talking about before. So I released unless they had a request where they said, I need you. Could you be the soundboard here? I just released and I went and I took care of myself. Brilliant. And for twos, a real high function for the two, like when twos are on hot fire, they feel confident and empowered and full is when they have practices of peace. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I read Carl Jung and I listened to some beautiful music. And when I went back downstairs, the, the day that was encrusted on my boyfriend and my daughter, Mm. right? We all have that. Like we have some of the day encrusted on us had completely dissolved. Without me having to yeah, meddle yeah, yeah, or do anything yeah. about it. So how did that happen? Space. Right. Space is not empty. Space is not empty. There yeah. is an incredible activity yeah. and magic yeah. in giving space. And as a two, because I have a two hearts desire, yeah. in utilizing my sensitivity to others right. in a very constructive way. Well, and I don't know the whole two um, technology and what all is involved, but as a two, part of the sensitivity is to hold the space, is to tend the environment that I'm in. So the sensitivity can be used to notice things going on and without having to do much, just through awareness to keep the space the way it is. It might even be something simple like, would you like a glass of water? Because that makes a difference. The smallest things can make yeah. the biggest difference. Now, the, the thing I also want to say is that in my experience, and you can um, you know, clarify this if you need to, I'm always in relationship. 
I'm always in relationship with someone or something, with my computer, my wife, you right mm -hmm. now, uh, the drivers around me on the road, etc. So the question is, who or what am I in relationship with when I'm alone? So however we word it, and of course we're now entering a minefield, the relationship with the divine is all important. And in this age, we've created a world without God. We can barely even use the word yeah. because it's so loaded with uh, dogma and theology. And we just had a, a, a bombing event. There's, they're more and more frequent, probably by a zealot who killed people because of his beliefs. So there's so much baggage connected to this field. That's why I call it a minefield. However, there is something about culturing the personal relationship with the divine, opening the conduit to God, and being able to flow that into all our relationships that answers so many questions. Now for me, my connection with the divine is primarily through nature. My wife and I live in the woods by a creek, and every day I'm outside, and connecting with the natural world really does connect me to what I am speaking about when I say the word God. So in other words, it's not a theory, it's not an old man in the sky, it's life force, it's the natural world. But without that, I think we create relationships that are eclipsing the most important one. I mean, imagine a stool with two legs. How long is that going to stand? <laughs> Stools have three legs. And my relationship with my wife is stabilized by the third leg which is our individual relationship with the divine. I am not going to try and replace that for my wife. She loves someone else more than she loves me, mm. and I'm perfectly happy with that. I love someone else more than I love her. Now, I'm not getting suddenly into deep religion here mm. and talking about you know, strange beliefs. It's just something is beating my heart. Something is steering the stars, and I love that something. I love that. I adore that. The minute I put words on it, it becomes conceptual. But I love the life that keeps me alive because I love the gift of life. And when that is my raging love affair, I can have my relationships with everyone else and it's far less urgent because this other is the urgent reality. Does that, does that follow? It makes total sense. And it's what takes us out of the clinginess the neediness, right. the instinctive teenage yearning that we all have to some degree, but is mm. so paramount for mm. twos. Mm. And it brings us in to that beautiful, enchanting empowerment yeah. Yeah. of mastering the art of relationship. Well, and you know, just a word to my brothers, any men listening out there, this is the coolest thing. <laughs> I mean, I can speak from decades of experience of learning how to so adore the divine that I see it in everything, to the point where I can be with a woman, a beautiful woman like you, Natalie, and just admire you and say, you're so beautiful on, in all ways. And the woman will feel that I'm just meaning that in a, in a kind, genuine way. I'm not hitting on anyone. Yeah. And this I'm saying to my brothers is one of the great thrills because my wife, for instance, understands that I adore the feminine. And I have many relationships with women but we don't have sex. That's not appropriate. But we do celebrate beauty and intimacy. Likewise, 
she will be at a party and I'll see my wife across the room and she's talking with some guy, some cute guy younger than me with, you know, different colored hair. <laughs> like I used to have <laughs> longer. And I don't feel jealous. I feel well, great. This young man gets a chance to be with a goddess. And I'm really grateful that he does. And that circles back to something I wanted to address that you said earlier, is that it's important for people who are in relationship with twos to understand you need to be fed mm -hmm. by all sorts of relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's yeah. you, it feeds you and it actually generates a depth of intimacy mm -hmm. in what did you call the, the top of the pyramid? Yeah, the pinnacle. The pinnacle relationship. Yeah, yeah. That's potent stuff. Well, and we need to be careful because, you know, what are the boundaries? And that's, right? that's a, a two has to learn yeah. about boundaries yeah. to protect the self, but also yeah. to protect those things that matter most to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you and I have talked about this before, the whole yeah. solar system idea with, you know, each one of us is the sun, and then our relationships are closer planets or ones farther away. And we don't want to disrupt the system. Yeah. So, right? Let a comet streak in and suddenly we're having this raging relationship with someone over here that's suddenly become more important than the one with our beloved. That is a problem. That's a problem. And it's a common problem. People don't talk about it. But I think yeah. that it happens whenever you're in relationship with somebody for more for a lengthy period of time. Mm -hmm. A really cool rule of thumb for that, and I, I read this somewhere and it stuck with me, is when you're in relationship with somebody else, so you, you have a spouse or a partner, and you're bringing somebody else into your inner solar system, right? Maybe it's a work colleague or a friend. You simply ask yourself, is this adding value mm -hmm. and deepening my mm -hmm. pinnacle relationship mm -hmm. or is it somehow depleting it? Well, that's such a great question. I was in the Tamara community over in Portugal a couple of summers ago and they are doing a long, decades-long experiment in uh, polygamy and, uh, you know, group, not group sex, but different partners. So, mm -hmm. I asked the founder about this. I said, well, you know, what if you've got a couple and one of them wants to have a relation, a sexual relationship with someone else, but their partner doesn't want that? And she said, well, can't happen. They have to be increasing love for everyone. Mm. Now, I've never forgotten that. What we do in a relationship should increase love for everyone. If it increases love for this one but takes it away for that one, that's not a good equation. There's something wrong there. Beautiful. I mean, can I come home, say, from a business trip yeah. and tell my wife about this great woman that I met in the seminar and how we shared a lot of joy and without it being, oh, no, she gets jealous or she wonders what we really did in Baltimore. You know, it needs to increase love for her where she says, great, my husband got to be with another being who happened to be a woman and they shared appropriate love together. And that what you shared amped you up, filled you up, mm -hmm. brought more wisdom, mm -hmm. brought more inspiration that you're then going to go back and share mm -hmm. with that beautiful garden that you're growing yeah. with your partner, right? Yeah. It enriches the home front. It enriches the home front. But I also want to say um, there's another element to this. We just touched on it a little bit. I think that all of us can learn how to become bulletproof in the sense that our relationship with the divine, as I put it, which we play out in every relationship, is so complete that we're beyond temptation. Because men, for instance, I'm a guy, so I'll just speak for myself, can ruin their lives, literally, destroy their lives through one infidelity. They're not bulletproof. 
they're vulnerable, they're susceptible. I know so many people where this has happened. Mm. And it's not just the sex, it's the betrayal. So why does that happen? Because they're vulnerable to that. So I don't believe we can ever be 100% complete in our relationship with another human being. I think it's our inner relationship with ourselves, as I'm framing it, the connection with the divine that can be so complete and be such a priority that we become bulletproof. So you're saying that it's actually a spiritual crisis when somebody might have an affair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and let's embody this. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about a separation from people. The divine is in everything and everyone. So I'm talking with you right now, and you happen to be a woman. So I have an appreciation for the divine feminine in you. And I'm not going to trample over that with some inappropriate uh, experience because I love and respect the divine in you, not in some disembodied way somewhere else. Do you see what I mean? Do you see I the do. difference there? I do. Now, if we all treat each other that way, we're not going to kill each other. We're not going to cheat on our spouses. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be abusive because we're honoring and respecting the divine in each human being and incidentally in every animal in every plant in every life form the divine gives everything life and when we know that and we choose to love that more than anything else all of our relationships will be appropriate that's the perfect segue into the role of twos in the world right now well, how long have we got? <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge part of the work that you do. Yeah, well, you used the phrase in the beginning, uh, the twos are peacemakers. And yes. I love that. And peace is dynamic. You know, often peace can suggest sort of taking a nap. But my experience is that peace is very dynamic, and it can include argument and conflict. It's, a, it's an organic living peace. So I think that, and I, I can't speak for other twos, but for myself, we're here to mediate differences. We're here to weave diversity together. We're here to grow relationships that make the we more important and effective than the me. We're here to be so strong in our sense of self in the correct way that we're not vulnerable, uh, we're not uh, competitive, we're communal in the best sense of the word. We're cooperative rather than competitive so that we can do something that I or you could never do on our own. So as a two, how do you generate that? Well, I think it comes naturally, don't, don't you? I Isn't, do. And so then I think you learn through experience mm -hmm. and mostly through making mistakes. I mean, I can't tell you how often I have done something with friends and then reflected and seen how I stole the energy. How instead of distributing it <laughs> and letting it really move mm -hmm. where it needed to, uh, my ego got involved and I grabbed something. And, e and even when people said, oh, Will, you did a great job. That was terrific, especially that last thing you said. When I know in my heart, if I'm honest, that that last thing I said was an ego thing. I wasn't really honoring the peacemaking that I just spoke about. Honoring the we. The we, yeah. And you said something else that was a big, big aha moment for me is almost expecting the conflict. Mm -hmm. Twos can actually shy away from conflict oh, because absolutely. we're peacemakers, yeah. right? So if there is any chance that we might stir the pot, 
we won't approach that. Mm -hmm. And that can actually create isolation, mm -hmm. segmentation, mm -hmm. that right now in a day and age where we need more union and mm -hmm. more harmony and peacemaking than ever before, mm -hmm. twos go off into hiding. They're scared. I've got my hand up. Um, have done that all my life. Grew up in a family where no one wanted conflict. It was all buried. So I've learned the hard way that it's very difficult, and it probably will always be difficult for me to handle conflict. I, I think it is for most people. But something I've learned that really works is instead of shying away from conflict, to meet it and to buy myself some time. So because the sensitivity suggests quick action, I need to do something. Yes. Instead, I've learned that, say I'm in the middle of a conflict, something has happened, I will ask a question or I will find some way to create a little space so that I can catch up with my sensitivity to what's really going on. Does that, does that make sense? It's, it's like the S of space comes before the S of sensitivity. That yeah, yeah. if you really want the sensitivity to be beautiful and constructive yeah. and deepening in your life, yeah, yeah. the space seems like a big factor. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, if I'm and I have a little conflict I need to resolve with someone in the next few days or so, and I've been thinking about it, and it's likely going to include something like, well, I'll make my statement, my observation of what I think happened that's different than what we'd agreed would happen. But then instead of blaming the person saying, why did you do that? I'll say, well, this is my perspective. I'm really curious how you see it. You're okay. bringing in the we again. The we. But I know that they see it differently than me. The old way is to think, well, this person screwed up. I'm going to find some way to alert them to how they screwed up so we can settle it and they need to apologize, etc., etc. Or the other side of it, uh, I screwed up. I need to apologize. Instead of all that, to just raise the point, instigate the conflict, and then immediately be prepared with a question that can help deliver more information. And by time to catch up with the change in the field that happens immediately after I raise that point. It almost sounds like a, a strategic exposure. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a Yoda move. Yes. It's a little Tai Chi move just because the twos, and again, I'm an, assuming I know all about twos. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say us sensitive guys and women. We have to recalibrate all the time. So the minute that something shifts, so you say something, dramatic, or I do, and it shifts, I have to re-perceive. And it may take me a moment to do that. So the buying time thing is a really good idea. When are you at your best? And I would love to hear a specific daily routine or practice that enables you to be an empowered, sensitive number two. What a question. Um, there's two answers to that. One is alone. I'm at my best when I'm in a devotional space, meditating, doing a little chanting, out in nature, sitting by my stream with a cup of coffee, just enjoying the birds singing. So that sense of oneness when I'm not with people, but I'm with nature, I'm at my best then. So that's one answer. Mm. And that's a daily practice, by the way. I do that every day. The other answer is when I'm with people and I'm moderating. So I have an image of a conference I just was at, 350 people here, and I was the moderator for a couple of panels. And there was a moment in the concluding panel for the whole conference where one of the panelists was saying something, and then another panelist jumped in, and then another one, and I sat back, 
and I realized that we had hit perfect speed, that I had been asking questions to prompt people, and it had developed to the point where they were all relating with each other, and they didn't need me anymore. And I can remember sitting back there and feeling completely blissed out, because my role was energetic. And in that situation, the less I needed to do, the more successful I was. I was at my best when I needed to intrude very, very little on what was going on because I had mastered the energy field in the sense that everybody felt safe and welcome and they were all flowing together. That was wonderful. Wow. So how do you do that? How do you stop doing and trying to fix and please and pull out the right things from people and create that energetic atmosphere. Well, What's that about? <laughs> well, listening, obviously, you got to listen. But I think, number one, you have to get over yourself. Mm. Because put any of us on a stage or hand any of us a microphone, and we're likely to start holding forth, right? In this case, just to go back to this conference, God, the trickster, really helped me out. Because I got up on stage, and, you know, we're going to start any minute. And I fell off the stage because the lighting was so bad. I fell right off the stage. What, you, re- you literally did? I did. <laughs> I landed really hard hurt myself. Oh my gosh, are you okay? I'm fine. Okay. But two people had to help me back up. So that's embarrassing, right? And then I sit down and I'm now in pain. My leg is hurting me. And, and, uh, I would have just gone home. Well, I'm sitting there and I'm in pain and someone from the hotel comes by and spills a whole glass of cold water on my lap. So I'm now soaked and in pain and I have to go, good evening. Welcome to the concluding panel. So I'm mentioning this because I was laughing. It's like I was so brought to my knees. It's like, okay, Wilkinson, you know, get over yourself, do your job, don't think you're going to say anything particularly wise. This is other people, not you, you know, do your job. So that's one way it happens. Wow. So be, <laughs> being, it, it, for the humility yeah. <laughs> creates this connection to service. Yeah. And I've got to say that in that instance, I felt very happy with what I did. And I didn't really insert much ego stuff. I think it's because I was soaking wet and in pain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been such a delight speaking with you today. Oh, for me too. My smile muscles are fatigued. (laughs) That's a good thing. (laughs) Thank you, anyone who's listening, for your attention. I hope that something we've said uh, helps you in your life. Yum. If you want to tap more of Will's wisdom... Who wouldn't after listening to that interview? Check out his website, willwilkinson.com, as well as two of his most recent books, Now or Never, A Time Traveler's Guide to Personal and Global Transformation, and Thriving in Business and Life. His website and links to his books on Amazon will all be provided in the show notes. If you guys found this podcast helpful and you want more, please spread the word. Send this episode to a friend, rate this podcast on Google Play and iTunes. It helps a ton and it lets me know that you're out there. Big hugs to you all and I will talk with you next week. Bye.